federal facilities in Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi will get cleaner electricity pretty soon. Utility provider Southern Company will offer carbon-free electricity to federal facilities in those states. On Tuesday, General Services Administration head Robin Carnahan signed an agreement with Southern Company CEO Chris Womack. It's the fourth such agreement between the government and a utility. The goal, carbon-free electricity for federal operations by 2030. GSA's Elliot Dooms of the Public Building Service opened the ceremonies. Good morning. It's great to be here with you today for this very important signing ceremony. My name is Elliot Dooms, and while I'm new to the position of the Public Building Service Commissioner, I've been working with GSA and PBS issues for nearly 20 years uh, in Congress. Uh, But while I've been here, I've seen tremendous strides by both GSA, PBS, and partner organizations like the Southern Company, that have made in sustainability and green energy solutions over the past many years. Since 2008, GSA has reduced greenhouse gas emissions from our own buildings by more than a million metric tons annually. And we've reduced these emissions by more than 51%, more than a decade ahead of schedule. The roadmap that this MOU lays out furthers the work being done to reach these goals industry-wide. And I'm proud to be a part of the process. So thank you, Mr. Mayock, Ms. Jacobson, Mr. Womack, and others here for your work and dedication on this important issue. It is now my honor to introduce GSA's administrator and a true champion for sustainability issues, Administrator Robin Carnahan. Thank you, Elliot, Andrew. Ms. Jacobson, Chris, thank you so much for being here. You know, President Biden is deeply committed to meeting this important moment. Wants to invest in America, wants to create good jobs, wants to reduce costs for taxpayers by lowering energy uh, consumption, and, of course, uh, wants to make the planet healthier for our families. He set ambitious targets for us to Uh, have net zero buildings in our portfolio by 2045, and part of getting there is having clean, carbon-free electricity in our buildings. And our goal is to do that by 2030. That's seven years from now. So these are very, very ambitious goals, but we know it's going to have a very significant impact on the marketplace uh, because the federal government is the single biggest consumer of electricity in the country. Now, GSA, we know we can show what's possible. We know that because of this buying power, we can, we can show uh, market, we can help shape markets, we can help accelerate the expansion of carbon-free electricity and to make our grids more resilient. Because we're, we're responsible for 370 million square feet of office space, the largest fleet of vehicles in the country at about a half a million and buy over $80 billion worth of goods and services every year. So the sustainable investments that we make, we know, are going to be a triple win. They're that win for good jobs in America, a win for reducing costs for taxpayers, and a win for the planet. So we are, Chris, steady long-term customers uh, of you and other utilities around the country, and we want to partner uh, with more and do these kind of signings that we're going to be doing today. These are smart for all kinds of reasons. They create demand for clean energy. They help catalyze innovation and new products. Uh, And they certainly bolster the resilience 
of grids across the country. This is going to be the fourth MOU that we have signed uh, with utilities. The first was with Entergy Arkansas, but we've also signed with Xcel Energy covering Minnesota, Michigan, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wisconsin, as well as with Pepco uh, here in the District of Columbia. So we are very excited to add uh, Southern Company's uh, surface area. Uh, we know that we, we buy a lot of uh, power there. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit from uh, our friends from the Defense Department, uh, but we have uh, they are they are the biggest. We were just discussing this. Your biggest customer is standing right here, um, and Thank wants and wants carbon free electricity. So yes, well we're we're going to be buying a lot, uh, but we appreciate that your commitment, your company's commitment to carbon free electricity and reaching net zero by 2050. Um, that is the kind of partner we want to have. Folks, who, where we are aligned on the mission, uh, we buy over – we have about 7.5 million square feet of office space in your area, uh, in, Atlanta, in uh, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi, so we expect to be good partners with you. Uh, I will say that I've been in and out of government for a long time, um, and I have never seen this kind of collaboration – you don't always see GSA and the Defense Department standing next to each other asking for the same thing. We're talking about really trying to move markets and to be smart about the way we, we consolidate our demand to make it easier to be able to meet uh, our carbon-free needs. So I, 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 I want everybody to understand these goals are big, but they are not a pipe dream. We are on our way to getting this done. GSA Administrator Robin Carnahan. You also heard from Elliot Dooms of the Public Building Service. After the event, Federal News Network's Kirsten Eric spoke with Southern Company CEO and President Chris Womack and with GSA's Carnahan. Well, it's, it is an ambitious goal that the President has set, and it's uh, to have 24-7, which means you want it matched to what's produced on that grid. Right. So if we're in in Georgia, we want to be able to have carbon free electricity that's produced on that grid that we're buying for our federal buildings. So what it's going to take to get there is partnerships just like this, where we're working closely with utility companies that can bring new CFE online that could let us have access to CFE they already have uh, and to figure out ways to make our buildings more efficient. And how is the partnership with Southern Utility helping with that? So Southern's been a terrific partner for years, not just with GSA, but also with the Defense Department. Um, we've done a lot already on building efficiency, uh, but plan to do this new process where we can get carbon-free electricity, as I said, 100% for our government buildings by 2030. I don't know if you have anything that you want to add to that? It's a wonderful partnership. This is a wonderful collaboration with the federal government to find ways to bring online more carbon-free resources. Southern Company is committed to sustainability. Southern Company is committed to a grid that's net zero by 2050. And so we're finding ways to bring more renewable resources onto our grid, making investments in new research and development, looking at new technologies, doing all these things in collaboration with our customers. And when you do that, that's how we come forth with solutions that meets their objectives but also supports the objectives of our company. So this is an exciting day. This is an exciting collaboration with the federal government as we move forward to make greater investments in renewable resources and carbon-free energy. And how are partnerships, whether between different agencies in the federal government or with utility partners, important to helping accomplish this goal? The government can lead by example. 
because we've got these big facilities. We're one of the biggest buyers of power in the country. And so if we can do it, it means others can do it as well. And so we can be kind of first movers in helping um, shape what's called green tariffs in some of these communities. And once those get done, other companies can buy off those and other people can buy off them. And so ultimately this is about creating good jobs here in the United States, reducing costs for taxpayers because we're reducing our energy costs, creating more resilient grids, and making the planet healthier for our kids. So it's just a triple win across the board, and we're going to keep doing more of it. Can you explain what you mean by green tariffs? So um, if if people want to buy a certain type of power, I maybe should let you talk about yeah. this. I mean, it's the opportunity to, to, to have rate structures and, and, and pricing options in place that incentivize you to bring renewable resources onto the grid. And so as customers des- have this desire, that's one pricing mechanism and, and rate mechanism that provides that incentives for companies to make sure those kind of resources are, in fact, available. So those things also, they, they provide incentives. And so there's more work to do to bring forth more more green resources, more sustainable resources, more carbon re- resources onto our grid. There's more research and development that has to happen. But having the opportunity to do that with our largest customers, we have the opportunity then to to, to do different things, to, to, to have incentives, to, to have these kind of collaborations that will motivate and incent us to, to make those kind of investments. So this is a win-win for the company. It's a win-win for, for our customer. And it's, and it's good, good for the country and good for the globe. So there's just so many positives that will come out of this collaboration with the government that I think you'll see as we go forward. Southern Company CEO and President Chris Womack. And you also heard from GSA Administrator Robin Carnahan. Speaking with Federal News Network's Kirsten Eric. Check out Kirsten's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Kolmstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture. Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. 
So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences. And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down, so I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies. And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on 
on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor and I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years and I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency. And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions. And that leader then said, okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion. And then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I want to hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision, and it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, Mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, Chief People Officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title, Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with a intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including Um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs. That's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, 
I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going? Um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career, and that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, and I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank you. Uh, having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. 
Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.